Welcome to City Church. Welcome online, those of you that are with us. If you're online, uh, we encourage you to give us one of those neat little wavy hands or say good morning or something, just to let us know that you're with us and so we can greet you and encourage you this morning. Uh, what we just heard right there was 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, that comes out of uh, what's called Streetlights uh, Audio Bible. Uh, you can find it on uh, any of your podcast uh, platforms. Uh, I've actually been using that. I've been listening to uh, that version of, of the reading of the scriptures in my preparation time, and it's helped me um, sometimes reading it and then sometimes hearing it in a different manner uh, is, is helpful for me anyway. So I wanted to share that with you this morning. We'll probably continue uh, each week as we dive into another chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, to hear uh, that audio Bible um, and use that tool. Uh, so, so that's what uh, that was. I don't think I have any announcements, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, a number of years ago, uh, there was a young couple. Um, they had uh, somewhat newly married, uh, had a young child. Um, they became friends of ours, and they became part of our ministry, uh, and we began to share life with them. Uh, if I remember correctly, we saw them come to faith. We saw them baptized uh, in our ministry, um, and uh, sometime as our relationship together began to progress uh, and that season began to move on, the husband began showing some, some signs of, maybe you'd say the demons that he wrestled with inside. All right, so the relationship, we, we started, it was fresh, they were coming to faith, there was good things going on, and then all of a sudden those demons began to present themselves in his life. Um, he would actually disappear from his home for weeks at a time with no, uh, with no notice, just gone, um, leaving his wife and his child at home. And then he would return home uh, kind of as if everything was okay, and just slide back into the house. Uh, after a while, uh, one of the times that he was gone for an extended period of time, if I remember this correctly, another woman reached out uh, and ended up, uh, his wife ended up receiving, I can't remember if it was the message or the phone call, uh, but this other woman reached out, uh, and we, I don't think this was the original part of this man disappearing, but it became part of the equation of his life as he was gone. Um, and then I recall one of the times that he came home, I, I remember sitting down on his couch with him and visiting with him and talking through these things with him. Um, one of the times that he returned home, we were there. We were talking about uh, the things that he brought up were the destructive patterns of his father. Um, he began telling me about that and how some of the things that he was living out were a repetition of what he had seen in his raising, in his growing up. He began to talk about that. He also began to talk about some of the inner battles that he struggled with um, from multiple, multiple deployments overseas. He had served in the military um, and been gone multiple times, and he began to talk about those things and how those things were affecting his thought process and his ability to think uh, and we talked about so much more than that. Uh, and at times, it seemed, uh, at, at times I would sit literally on the couch with him talking, about, talking about how he had a wife and a child, and yet he would leave and like just be gone. 
And at times when I'm sitting there trying to process this with him and, and walk with this, walk through this with him, there were times that he would be heartbroken over it. But then it, like, triggers would switch, and it's like he wouldn't even listen to sound logic. Right? It was like, I'm remorseful, I hate this, that here we are, but then at times it's like I, I just can't even process sound instruction. And this was the first time in my ministry that I had been forced to discern what appropriate action for, number one, ministering to him uh, while caring for his wife, but then also ministering and trying to help them, right? And that's such a sticky situation. For the first time as a young pastor, I was in that. It's like, I want to minister to him. I want to help him. I want to see him come out of this. And then I also want to care for her but I also want like them to remain. Uh, and this was the first time I had to process those things. And what does it look like to respond? What does it look like to, uh, to be with people in that situation? Things kind of came to a head, and we were um, really didn't have any other option but get a group of men gathered, and we helped her move. We, we helped her load up all her stuff and move out of the house. That was kind of when it came to a head and... and, and where that season uh, was appearing to be closing for us. Um, his choices had forced us to take care of her and distance from him. Right? His choices forced us to take care of her while distancing from him. The next season of their life brought more and more destruction for his life, and immorality turned to lawlessness uh, and he was arrested multiple times, spent time in rehab facilities, and eventually in prison for, for uh, an extended period of time. Um, so I'm going to turn this to you guys real quick. Various options arise when we, like, as you wade through the emotions and the thoughts of that circumstance. It's like various options arise for how you could respond, Right? What would it look like for you to respond as you try to help him care for her and then help them as well? Uh, so what options do you think you would consider if you were me in that circumstance? And, and, and don't give me like the, uh, the clean answer. Give me the, like as you emotionally go through this process with this family. You're emotionally involved. You have been there and celebrated with them, and now you are weeping with them, and you are weeping with her alone, and then you're sitting with him alone. Like, it's an emotional thing. And, and, and what options do you think you would have considered if you were me? Well, you got Chad. That's a response in your head because that's a smile on your face. Like me, mm, like I'm yeah. being completely serious. 
Yeah. And I mean, there's just hmm. sometimes we don't feel like we can relate to somebody through our experiences because they don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. They've never went through it. Yeah. So I mean, I went through my own struggle through addiction and self whatever. Yeah, self destruction. And I mean, it's a rough road. And I, yeah. I mean, I sympathize with him because I could have ended up like that. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. So, and there's tons of people like that. Yeah. And I don't think that he meant to leave his family or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. just sometimes you feel like you don't have no option. And it's yep. better to distance yourself from the others you love. That mm-hmm. way your actions don't affect them in a negative manner. You think you're saving them by leaving them so you yes. don't hurt them. Um, so you can rationalize in your own mind. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And, and whether it's this family or another family, I think what Chad's saying is you find... Find people with a connection point so that you can share perspectives so that you can empathize and help better. Um, because even as a, as a pastor, it's like I can, I've got some things, but then we're disconnected on other things that may be really significant in this situation. So finding people that can help uh, close those gaps. What else do you think you would have thought? What options would you have wrestled with or considered as you go through this? And sometimes, so I want to tag on to what Derek said and said, I want to come to you gently to correct and encourage and see if you'll adapt and respond to good sound instruction. But then I'm going to also come, if when necessary, I'm going to come to you firmly. And and I'm going to say, you're in error. You are bringing destruction. You are uh, going to reap destruction in your own life. And and, uh, here's what I think many of us probably wrestle with is um, either we stay in the gentle mode or we jump to the firm mode, bypassing the gentle mode, right? So I think, I think most of us probably lean to one side of that fence or the other. I'm going to come to you with wrath and say, Tyler, you're, you're destroying yourself and your family and, and, and you, know, you just come to you firmly, without ever having a spirit of gentleness, or maybe you tiptoe around and you never get to the firm, clear-cut reality of what's going on. It's a difficult road to travel. I mean, it's a difficult thing to navigate. 
Uh, and like Derek was saying, it's like, what is the scripture? So what are the processes of the scriptures that Jesus lays out for us, how to navigate these things? What are the things, uh, the resources? Because there are, in certain circumstances, there are resources outside of the church that may be valuable to us, whether it's things uh, like a veteran's thing in certain circumstances. And it's just tricky. And when I was a young pastor, it was a hard thing for me to navigate. Um, and I will say that I stood in awe, and I still stand in awe of this woman because of her ability to apply her very young faith to this difficult season of her life. She cared for her child. She was patient with her husband, yet willing to walk away without giving up. Okay? She was willing to walk away without giving up. And that was astounding to me to watch when I thought, man, this, this young lady is six months into her faith. And yet it is driving her, sustaining her. And, and I'm like, wow. Like, I, I, I just in awe as I watched her respond to this situation. In my search for how to handle this, uh, relationship, God led me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So the text that we have this morning is the text that instructed and guided me through this circumstance. When I was trying to figure out as a young pastor, how do I navigate this? This is where God led me and where I ended up receiving most of my instruction. Paul is addressing a situation among the church in Corinth which has had some parallels to what I've just described. Sexual immorality, infidelity, and pride among those in the family who claim to, protect, who claim to possess faith in Jesus. Okay, Sexual immorality, infidelity, and pride from those who say, I believe, I follow Jesus. That's what Paul was addressing, that's what he was navigating, and that's what I was navigating as well. So I took those parallels and received instruction from the scriptures here. So in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles or the pagans. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Not his mom, but his stepmom in this situation. Okay, Paul spends chapter 5 helping the church know how to think about and how to respond to such a situation. Okay, you got a guy in the church who is sexually active with his stepmom. And he's happy about it. But he claims to be a follower of Jesus. So I want to help you know how to process, how to think about that, and I also want to help you know how to respond to that. Okay, That's the whole intent of chapter 5. Okay, So number one, Paul says this. First thing for how to think about it, you should mourn and grieve. I don't know if I spelled that right. This is a case, this is a cause for mourning and grieving, not arrogance and boasting. Okay, when you have those in the church, those brothers and sisters in Jesus who are caught up in the most unthinkable 
sinful patterns, it should cause grieving and mourning, not arrogance and boasting. And he says in verse 2, you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? He said, you guys are like boasting. You're bragging. You're arrogant about what's going on here. It's like, that's even as unthinkable as the actions that he has. Because this circumstance should cause you to, to grieve and to mourn. And, and, and you should remove him from your church family. Okay? So here's the word that we want. They did not mourn and grieve. But instead, there was arrogance. They were arrogant. They were boastful. Arrogance can creep in in a couple different ways here. And I want us to consider two different ways that we can be arrogant when there are such patterns in our family. Number one, the arrogance of doing whatever is desired. I do whatever I want. That's a sense of arrogance. This is to dismiss the the design of God, the image of God that lives in me. And as Paul says in Ephesians 2.3, It's where you follow the passionate desires and every inclination of your sinful nature. It's like arrogance, number one, just do whatever. And he says, sinful nature. It's the term that Paul uses in Ephesians. You just do whatever your sinful nature wants to do. Whatever thought, whatever passion, whatever desire you have, you just say yes. Like despite how God has designed us, despite whatever the image of God in us is leading us to, there's this inner thing inside of us that just wants to do what it wants to do. And when we are arrogant, we say yes to whatever it says. This is how we first became children of wrath. That's what Derek was saying. It's like when we follow the sinful nature that lives inside of us and we just do whatever with arrogance, that's how we became children of wrath in the first place. right? And that's why Jesus came, put his body on the cross, took our punishment upon him so that we could become not children of wrath but children of God. right? This led us to become children of wrath. This is the reason for the gospel narrative. This is how we become children of God because Jesus took our guilt upon himself. This was the mentality of the church of Corinth. This was the mentality of the church in Corinth. It's interesting to observe this and say, this church, when Paul's writing this letter, they just did whatever the heck they wanted to do, whatever urges were inside of them, they just said yes. Like, if it feels good, I do it. Even if it leads to the most unthinkable sinful patterns. That's arrogance number one. That's arrogance number one. Second type of arrogance that can creep in is number one is doing whatever. The second one comes from Doing what is right. We could say the first one is doing 
what is wrong. And the second one, we get arrogant when we do what's right. Um, if we only skim through chapter 5, like if you read chapter 5, maybe you, you heard it just then, and we, we, don't, we don't sit and maybe meditate on it and see what Paul's really trying to tell us, here's what we might take away from it. Uh, an arrogance from doing what is right. It says, we who don't follow the flesh or our sinful nature, those words are used synonymous. It's like, I don't follow my sinful nature. I do what's right. I need to expel those who do what's wrong. Right? And, and I'm, I'm going to obey what Paul said in verse 5. We're going to hand them over to Satan because we do what's right and they do what's wrong, so we need to get them out of here. There's a sense of arrogance from doing what's right. Maybe I'll take verse 6 and we'll say, you know what, we should build a barrier between sinners and saints because we know that a little leaven will leaven the whole batch of dough. That's the illustration Paul is using. Right? You get just a little bit of leaven in that batch of dough and it's going to make the whole thing rise. So we need to build barriers between sinners and saints and get them out of here so that they don't corrupt the whole thing. There's a sense of arrogance brewing in our skimming of verse 6. Therefore, we're going to obey verse 9, and we're not going to associate with sexually immoral people. Right? We do what's right. They do what's wrong. So we're going to hand them to Satan. We're going to build barriers so that it's us and them, and we're not going to associate with them. In the end, it becomes us and them, but the problem is, is that the us becomes arrogant. Us becomes arrogant. Because it's us and them, and us is always right, no matter what narrative you're in. So that's arrogance number two. It's funny that we can be arrogant in doing what is wrong, but we can also be arrogant in doing what is right. And Paul says this is not a sense, a situation for arrogance. This is a situation for mourning and for grieving. There is no room for arrogance in these contexts. The context of my relationship with this family, I just want to be honest with you, would not allow me to function like this. The context for my relationship wouldn't allow that. I cared too much for them and I felt too much of a fatherly responsibility for them for me to build barriers, to just say me versus them. It didn't allow me to gather his wife and his child and say, y'all come over here and we're going to build a barrier between you and him so that it's us versus him. Like I, I didn't have a relationship in a sense towards them that even allowed me to think or function like that because there was too much of a responsibility that I felt for them. And I don't believe that the context of 1 Corinthians 5 allows that either. Okay? First of all, the arrogance of doing what's right says, you know what, I just, we just need to kick them out. Let's get rid of them. Let's destroy them. They're, before they destroy us, let's destroy them. Like, I didn't want him to be destroyed. I wanted him to be, uh, I, I wanted him to win. I wanted him to overcome. I didn't want him to, to fail and to sink and to just be cast away. Uh, I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't want him to pay for what he'd done. Right? 
It's like, I'm going to get even with you for what you've done to her. It's like, that wasn't it. I didn't have a sense like that. I desired healing. I desired healing in his mind, healing in his heart, and healing in his family. That was the desire, not to get even. And I didn't want a barrier. To be honest with you, I didn't want to build a barrier between us and him. It's like I wanted a bond so that it was just us. So the context of my relationship didn't allow me to function in the arrogance as if we skim through chapter 5. But as we look closer at chapter 5, I don't think that Paul wanted the same thing either. In fact, as we look closer at the text, God reveals that he wants the same thing that I wanted. And the, the difference is that I think God goes about it in a different way than we do sometimes. So I think that's one of the reasons that when we have like sticky situations with relationships and in churches and different things like that, I think it's necessary for us to come up against them and say, I need to stop before I respond. I need to search the scriptures, I need to search the spirit, and I need to stop because my response is probably going to land in some category of arrogance if I just respond. But if we stop and we say, you know what, we, we ask our Heavenly Father, how do you have designed for us to respond to this? The interesting thing, I think sometimes he has a different plan for achieving the desired result. Number one, he says in verse five, verse five says, hand that one, the one who is with his stepmom, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. The destruction of his sinful nature. I don't want to destroy him. I want to destroy the sinful nature that is destroying him. You catch that? We're not against people. We don't want to destroy people. We don't want people to pay for what they've done. We want the sinful nature driving us to do such horrific patterns of sinful immorality. We want that nature in us to be destroyed so that the person may be saved. That's the desire. And when he says, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his sinful flesh, not for the destruction of him. If or when, I want to say if, like the church, our church, this church, if we're forced to make a difficult decision of separating ourselves from our own, I want to say if, but I think it's when. When we are forced to make the difficult decision of separating from our own, our own people, it is not an act of revenge it is not an act of self-preservation. It is an act of love. You get that? If we ever have to, God forbid, separate from someone in this family because they refuse to abandon such destructive patterns, it is not for self-preservation. Get them out before they destroy us. It is an act of love. Let's separate so that the sinful nature that is driving those decisions so that that nature may be destroyed and that person may be saved. 
Paul says in Galatians, I'm going to start in 5.17, then I'm going to read 6.8. He says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. you got the sinful nature wants to do evil. The Spirit of God that lives inside of you wants to do good. These two natures are warring, constantly fighting. So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. I remember sitting on the couch with that guy. And I know he had desires that were good. He had the Spirit of God was causing him to want good things. But then there was this nature inside of him that was waging war against what the Spirit was telling him. And although he wanted to do good, the sinful nature drove him to do evil. And those two things were waging war against each other. So that he couldn't even follow out the good desires of the Spirit that lived within him. And then Paul says in 6.8 of Galatians, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Right? So we've got our sinful nature over here. We've got the Spirit of God over here. As we... Live on earth as a follower of Jesus. We have two, two things living out in our life at the same time. Like as you receive Jesus, you receive his spirit to dwell inside of you. It says it is a down payment for the kingdom of God that you're going to have. Like it is a guarantee. It is as if God has put his stamp upon you. And when you have the spirit, you know that you belong to God, that you will see God. And and when you have the spirit of God, you know you belong to him and he is yours and you are his. But interestingly enough, before you had that, you also had this nature inside of you that wanted to do whatever the heck you wanted to do. That wanted to turn your nose up to the instructions of God. That wanted to chase after whatever felt good, sounded good. Even though it brought death and destruction, you want to say yes to it anyways. But then the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, and He wants to bring life and renewal. But the sinful nature wants to bring death and destruction. And now you are a battleground for the two natures that want to fight for your life. Welcome to following Jesus. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. We all have the sinful nature that continues to wage war against the spirit God has put in us. And we as a family, we find, when we find people in our family, the church is a family. We are the family of God and Jesus is the head. He is our father. We follow him as a family together. We are brothers and sisters. As we find people in our family Losing this war, the most unloving thing that we can do would be to turn our back. Do you agree? Like as as I look around and I see you and I see you and I see you and I see you suffering and struggling and losing the war that is waged in your life. Doing nothing is the most unloving thing that we could do. 
Finally, I want to propose that from the text, the problem is not immorality. Okay? And I think this is where we may be a little bit... I think this is where we've got it wrong many times. And I think this is why a lot of times people have been turned off by the church. It's just my perspective. You have two things. The problem is not immorality. And a lot of people's radars just went off and said, whoa, he's a heretic. The problem is immorality. No, I think Paul describes the problem as being something different. The problem is pride. The problem is not immorality. The problem is pride. And I found this interesting as I opened up. Um, like we have websites online that have the Bible in all different versions, translations, and things like that. And if you look in your Bible, like at the beginning of each section, there's like this bold heading, right? And that bold heading wants to give you a glimpse about what's inside that section of text. And when I look inside, uh, right now I'm reading the Christian Standard Bible, verse 5, it says, Immoral church members. That's the heading on the top of my immoral church members. And if you look through various translations and, and, and uh, versions, you'll find things comparable to that. But I, I can't remember which translation it was. I looked, but it said, dealing with spiritual pride. And I was like, they nailed it. I, I feel like they nailed the heartbeat of what Paul was trying to address here. It's the spiritual pride that causes the immorality, right? In some cases, pride is, in the church is more dangerous than the immorality of the world. Pride in the church, I believe, is more dangerous than the immorality in the world. This is why Paul says that we are not to build a barrier from the rest of the world, right? He's like, I told you not to associate with sexually immoral, not to associate with those that are pride, those that are cheating each other. Don't associate with them. He's like, no, 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 no. You got my first letter wrong. I didn't mean those in the world. I meant those in the church. Like, because if you're going to build a barrier from the rest of the world, you're going to have to separate from everybody. And I'm not instructing you to do that. Don't judge the rest of the world. You need to Deal with what's in our family. Judge one another. Spur one another on in the war that is taking place for their heart. In Ephesians, Paul tells the church, he's explaining why he doesn't want you to separate from the rest of the world. In Ephesians, he says, all of us used to live that way. Following the passions, desires, and inclinations of our sinful heart. Just like everyone else. Like, why would you separate from the rest of the world? All of us used to be there. Like, that's where we all started. That's where we all started. 
But it was the richness of God's mercy and love shown to us in Jesus that humbles the heart, causing us to turn to him. Like that's where we started, did whatever we wanted, chased after whatever felt good. And then God's mercy and God's love approaches us in the person of Jesus. And it melts and humbles our heart. And we say yes to him and we turn away from that and we turn to him. And here we are receiving his spirit. Now we are a battleground against the the sinful nature that lives inside of us. And he is winning. He will win. Like, but we all started here. Like, that was the starting line for every one of us, sinful nature. Just doing whatever the heck we wanted. But the richness of God's mercy humbled our hearts. When we lose the humble heart, we lose ourselves. Okay? This is why I say that pride is a bigger issue in the church than immorality is in the world because when the church loses a humble heart the church loses who it is right uh, i believe it, it, it was the the humility that was caused through the person of jesus like when i met jesus my heart melts and i'm humble in his hands Like That's how we became children of God and not children of wrath. And all of a sudden, something happens and we become boastful and arrogant. That's not how we came to Jesus. That's not how we became children of God. So if we want to go back to boasting and arrogance, we're we're retracting back to where we came from. Same thing that drove us away from God in the first place. Like our whole identity as being children of God is caused by the humility of our heart. We were humble enough to say yes to Jesus. We're humble enough to say, I need you. But then somewhere along the way, if we become boastful again, we've lost our identity in Jesus. I believe this is why the church was instructed to separate itself from this man. The pride which allowed his action was spreading like a pandemic. I don't think it was the immorality of the man that was going to spread like a pandemic. Everybody looks like, even pagans don't do what you're doing, dude. Like, this is horrific. Like, what? What? The pandemic wasn't his immorality. The pandemic was his pride. And like, you're bold and arrogant enough to do that. And that pride is spreading like wildfire. And that's going to be the big problem. A church unwilling to humbly submit to Jesus is not a church. Let me say that again. A church unwilling to humbly submit to Jesus is not a church. It has ceased to be a church. So here's my three points to leave you with. And we're going to switch things around this morning. Our Q&A, our discussion time, uh, is not coming from me this morning. I have instructed Buddy to listen uh, carefully and based upon what stood out to him after a time of worship, Buddy will present us with two to three questions to toss around uh, in response to this morning's message. Three points. Number one, we cannot become proud towards our city. We cannot become proud and arrogant towards our city as if the church is a shelter from our town. We're not allowed to do that. We are not allowed to think that this church is a shelter to hide from the 
immorality of our town. We're not going to become that boastful and that arrogant. Number two, we cannot become proud towards ourselves as if it's our job to protect this house from each other. Right? Oh, I see something in you. I've got to go fix it. Our job is not to protect this house from each other. We're not going to become boastful and arrogant in that manner. And the last thing is we cannot become proud towards God as if we have a license to do whatever we please. All three of those applications of arrogance would be an error. I believe all three would be an error. To become proud towards our city as if we are a shelter from the town, to be proud towards ourselves as if we protect this house from each other, or to be proud towards God as if we have a license to do whatever we want. All three are an application of arrogance. They are pride leading up. And if we fall victim to pride, we will lose the humble heart which drew us to become children of God in the first place. And if we cease to be humble towards Jesus, unwilling to humbly submit to Him, we're not a church anymore. So I ask you, number one, humble yourselves before the Lord. Submit yourselves, and the devil will flee, and God will draw near, James says. Like, there's a war being waged for your life right now, and if you find yourself in any phase of pride, and you find yourself falling victim to the sinful nature and the the spiritual realm that is attacking and wanting to control you, what is the answer? What is the solution? It is the same thing that drew you to be a child of God in the first place. Humble yourselves before the Lord. God draws near and the devil flees and you will have victory. What is the way to lose the battle? Continue being pride. Continue functioning on whatever you want, whatever you think. The way to win is humility. The way to lose is pride. So for those of us that are already followers of Jesus, humility is the way to victory. For those of us that are walking through the world trying to navigate and figure out whatever life is and whatever we want, here's here's what I encourage you to. You will lose the battle and it will end in death and destruction if you do not submit to the person of Jesus and receive his spirit. The way to life and restoration is through the person of Jesus. So if you have not humbled yourself and said, you know what, my sinful nature has controlled me my whole life. The only way to win that is to turn and say yes to Jesus. Jesus took my sins upon his body on the cross, taking the wrath of God upon himself so that it may be removed from you. And because he did that, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you will receive his spirit to live inside of you as a down payment of the kingdom of God that will be fully exposed sometime in the future. First response is to say yes to Jesus. Say yes, I need you. I give the rest of my life to you. And that's where you receive victory over your pride, victory 
over the immorality that controls us. Because without Jesus, it is our sinful nature that has control. I want to pray for us. We'll have a time of worship. And then Buddy will come with those of us in the room uh, and pose a couple questions for us to toss around.